Dr. Amalia Gonyas Malka. Welcome to Womanity, Women in Unity, the show that celebrates prominent and ordinary African women's milestone achievements in their struggles for liberation, self-emancipation, human rights, democracy, racism, socioeconomic class division, and gender-based violence. Joining us on the line today is Ms. Angel Kanyele, who is from the Democratic Alliance and is a member of Parliament. She is currently serving in the National Assembly on the Portfolio Committee of Home Affairs, and she also sits on the African Parliamentary Association for the Human Rights Steering Committee. She joins us today in our series covering perspectives from women across different political parties in the country. Welcome to the show. Uh, thank you so much. Good afternoon, Dr. Amalia, and greetings to your listeners, and thank you for having me on your show. It's a pleasure to host you. And to begin with, South Africa is a multi-party democracy. Currently, Parliament's National Assembly consists of 14 political parties. Parliament even has a specific committee representing women from different political parties called the Multi-Party Women's Caucus. One of the issues it addresses is gender-responsive planning and budgetary framework. At the end of August, there was also a special women's parliament, which was convened under the theme gender and institutionalism towards strengthening the national gender machinery as a response to addressing gender-based violence in South Africa, which included a 25-year review of the Women's Charter for Effective Equality. In your opinion, how do you consider these types of platforms will progress women's agendas in South Africa? Um, thank you so much for your question. I think these uh, types of platforms are necessary as they can help us find solutions to gender-based violence. In the meeting that was held recently, it was discovered that the implementation of resolutions that are taken in the aforementioned caucus was an obstacle from tackling the issues related to gender-based violence. And amongst other issues that we discussed was that Parliament needs to have a five-year plan responding to issues of gender-based violence and ensure that budget is enhanced for gender-based violence and uh, that oversight is, co- is conducted on other government departments to check that the departments are implementing what they committed to do in their reports with regards to women capacitation when it comes to issues of skills also conducting an, an oversight, which I think is one of the important roles in the police station to ensure that the rape kits for the adults and for, for, for the kids is always on stock and that all cases that are reported are actually investigated and they make it to the court. So we're looking at one where we're taking more conscious action and rather than just having cases arise but being able to get the follow-through, getting them addressed in the court scenario so that we we get convictions for cases. Yes. You mentioned that looking at different departments taking up actions for gender-based violence. What types of actions are we looking at? Um, there's a, a department that is looking after issues of, of women. I think it's the Department of uh, Women, Youth and People with Disabilities. And uh, there's also Department of Social Development. Social Development also looks after issues of people that are, uh, that of women as well. And within that department, normally when they have their reporting, they have their targets because they need to have cooperatives 
and when they have those cooperatives, they need to ensure that those cooperatives formed, they are actually supported by the government and they are implemented so that um, the women can actually be able to be self-sufficient. But in most instances, we, we there, there's no one that is actually conducting an oversight to be able to monitor, to track that all the programs that are within those departments, they actually take place. So I think it was discussed in that context that we need to look at other departments, that all the programs that they say they are going to do, do they commit to? And if they do not, we need to know their reasons why. But if an, an, an oversight is actually conducted, we'll be able to actually detect well on time that there are certain programs that did not take place and we'll know why. If there's maybe budget constraints, then we'll be able to address those challenges as well. Well, I suppose part of the challenge is that it doesn't just, women don't only fall within the Department of Women and the Department of Social Development. We account for 51% of the population. So our, our issues expand across all of the departments. Staying for a moment with the multi-party caucus, for me, it, it sounds like a very interesting initiative as, as being able to unify parties to really focus on women's issues because often, you know, things can be fragmented and, and issues could be diluted or, or derailed because they, they take place in, in various forums. But within the multi-party caucus, this provides a, a unique way of being able to integrate that. What's your view? Okay. The other examples, departments that I've given to you, the other department that I've given to you, I was just mentioning them as examples, but basically oversight needs to be conducted in all departments um, of, of, of the government to ensure that women capacitation, it actually takes place where it is mentioned as a, as a target. And um, yes, the... It, it is. It is uh, unified. It is meant. The, the caucus. It is meant to unify parties and women in particular to be able to discuss issues that affect them. And no one is immune to gender-based violence, Doctor. And I believe that if we combine our efforts, we will be able to defeat gender-based violence. I really do hope so because we know that it is a, a major issue in our country. But we'll we'll talk a little bit more on that uh, later in our in our discussion. From a, a political party point of view, the Democratic Alliance is fairly well established, having evolved from the Progressive Party, which was formed in 1959. I understand that you joined the party in 2014 and you've served in various functions from youth to the Women's Network Infrastructure and became a Member of Parliament in 2017. Tell us a little bit more about your journey into politics. Um. Yes, like you have indicated, I joined the Democratic Alliance in, in 2014, and uh, I have served in different structures within the local government. And in 2017, I became a member of parliament, and uh, in that time I was serving in the Portfolio Committee of Social Development, and issues of gender-based violence were among the, among the issues that we discussed in that Portfolio Committee. And after realizing that in our communities we have lots and lots of, of gender-based issues, I took it upon myself that we need to organize events that are going to educate and create awareness amongst men as well, because we have 
noticed that most of these uh, gender-based violence, the perpetrators are men. So we, we held the event. It was the first event. It was uh, in October 2018. We had a, a good attendance, considering that our municipality is not even that big. It was in Lico municipality. It was basically one of the main issues, that of the main events that are, 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 we are still going to hold. Because I do believe that men actually need to champion for the issues of gender-based violence. Their voice also needs to be heard. They also need to tell us how did we get where we are and how can we actually come, off, come out of this situation. So this, 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 this event was actually meant at, at addressing those issues. And uh, we've recently uh, launched another foundation, it's Angel Canile Foundation. And this foundation also, we are going to carry on looking at the issues of creating awareness around the issue of gender-based violence. And we must make sure that all the time this issue remains as a standing item. Then we'll be looking after issues of people who are living with disability as, as they are also abused in our communities together with youth development. And uh, I've also returned to Parliament this year. I am serving in the National Assembly. I am currently a Deputy Shadow Minister in the portfolio of Home Affairs. I also participate in the African Parliamentarian Association for Human Rights Steering Committee. And uh, I am currently studying towards a degree in public administration with Menkosa. Thanks for sharing the different milestones on your journey thus far. What would you say was it that ignited you to get into politics? What was the key driver there? I would say it was uh, my background together with the passion that I have for our people. Growing up, I was raised by my mother. She's a, a single parent. She's living with a disability. My mother is uh, mute and, and, and deaf as well. But she was assisted by my grandmother, and both of them never had any sort of income other than the government grant. And back in the days, it was about 215 that they were getting it, not per month, they were getting it bi-monthly. So I have, a, I have an experience of going to bed on an empty stomach. And at times you will look at the door and hoping that the next person who's going to knock is going to be a good Samaritan that is coming to rescue you. And uh, that person it was actually not going to come. But I took it upon myself that uh, as I grow up, I want to make sure that I work very hard to change the life at home, to change my background. But not only that, to make sure that I make a difference in my community, to make sure that uh, I become that knock that they have been waiting for. I become their voice. I become That's an incredibly strong motivation on your journey into politics and being able to really drive a meaningful difference in our population. Staying with the Democratic Alliance for a moment, from a composition point of view, what is the, the representation of women in the party? Okay, in the National Assembly, we have about 30 women, and uh, in the NCOP, we have uh, four women. And in terms of the party's policy on women within its structures, is there a particular mandate or or quota system? No, no, we don't uh, uh, work on quotas. Normally what we do, we elect our women representation based on merit. 
We always just believe that much needs to be done in terms of attracting women who are capable to be in our structures. And I also know that some parties have a quota of 50-50. And uh, what I know very well is that we can, we can even exceed this number if we can be able to attract more women who are capable. We elect our women based on merit. So if I'm not mistaken, when I was looking at the figures, I think you have around about 84 or 88 seats in the National Assembly. So you've got a, a roughly around about 35% uh, proportion of, of women versus men inside the, the National Assembly. As a gender-based radio program, we constantly focus on the importance of building female leadership capacity for the benefit of our women and also our country. And in comparison to the public sector, where we now have a cabinet of 50-50 female-male representation, the picture of women in leadership in corporate South Africa is not is not good, to say the least. Various surveys have been compiled by the likes of Grant Thornton, McKinsey, etc., as well as the Businesswomen's Association of South Africa, uh, the BWA. And on the BWA, they show that there's a survey of 277 Johannesburg Stock Exchange listed companies. And in that, women only account for 29.5% executive managers, 19% directors, 6% chairpersons, and 4% CEOs. How do you see female leadership in South Africa, whether it's from a political point of view, academic, or professional? Um, thank you so much for your question. I do believe that uh, there is much work to be done when it comes to legislation for gender equity. For an example, married women can keep their maiden surnames or convert to their husbands, but nothing in current legislation allows for married men to convert to their wife's surname. There are still many professions in our country where men are paid more than women in the same profession. This must be specifically outlawed. Given that we come from a male-dominated and very patriarchal society, we need a complete review of all legislation to ensure that it promotes gender equity. Do you think legislation, though, is enough? Because one thing that South Africa is very good at is we have lots of policies, we've got lots of frameworks, but if policy is not implemented then it falls short of all of those ideals that it was designed to protect or, or designed to deliver. Yes, and I think your question will take us back to the conversation that we had earlier on, that we need to conduct more oversight to ensure that the legislation and all resolutions that are taken are implemented because it has been proven that we have a challenge when it comes to implementing and we need to do more oversight to ensure that implementation takes place. So we've chatted about legislation. We've looked at opportunities of being able to close gaps by um, having greater oversight. What would be your advice to young girls and women when they're facing gender challenges? Um, I think they need to speak up. Women, young girls, they need to speak up when they are assaulted. 
they need to ensure that their voices are heard and they should ensure that SAPS open and investigate their reported cases instead of sending them back home to fix things. Because as we stand right now, Doctor, we have many women who have died after they have been turned away from police stations. And if they do not get required assistance, they must contact us. We are elected by them. We are here for them. We will ensure that we raise their matter with relevant structures or portfolio committees. So we need our women to not be afraid to take action through their voices and to to contact Parliament. Is, is that what you're saying? Yes. Yes, we are here for them. They need to contact us. So besides gender-based violence being one of the issues that women are presently dealing with, as well as looking at aspects of, of pay inequality for doing the same work as men, but unfortunately being paid less, what other areas do you think still need attention with respect to women? I think it has more to do with teaching our women the value of being a woman, for them to be able to stand for themselves, for them to be able to speak up, for them to be able to stand for what is right. But I do believe that if they do not know who they are and they do not know what their rights are, because that's where it starts, then they wouldn't know they wouldn't know what to do. I think that is why in most instances our women are actually vulnerable. So as leaders, we need to go back to the communities and educate our women about their rights so that they can know when to speak up, when, so that they can know when to say no. And they also need to understand that no means no. It begins with them. Because in some instances, you find women that, that would say no and later deviate from this. And it creates a pattern, especially to the perpetrator, that initially she said no, but later she agreed. So maybe even this time around, she, she, she says she's not even, she is not actually saying no. She just means that she just needs me to face with it a little bit further. That is why they find themselves vulnerable and at the hands of, of the perpetrators. So we need to create greater assertiveness. We need to create more confidence. And yes. for women to acknowledge and, and be aware of, of what their rights are in society. Yes, yes. One of the things which I think has evolved over time is the way that we, we connect, the way that we disseminate information. And social media has increasingly become a growing channel. How do you find you utilize it to connect with constituents or to connect and engage with women potentially about these types of issues? I think social media can be used to communicate these issues, but I also strongly believe in face-to-face or one-on-one conversations because at least you can have an eye contact when you raise your issues, they can also be able to respond back because I have noticed that some people, they follow us on social media, but when you post certain things, they're not comfortable to talk about them on those type of flat platforms because you find that whatever their views are, they'll be seen with by your about 5,000 followers. Whereas if you're having your, your meetings, your one-on-one contacts, at times in your hall you can have about 30 people and you find that they're sharing the same issues and you're able to address them. And as a leader, it is very important to have a, a constant communication, constant contact with your people or your followers, your supporters, because they need to know that you are for them. So I do believe that we need to have more personal interactions, though we need to utilize the social media platform as well, but still we need to go on the ground to ensure that we have the one-on-one conversation.
So getting that human contact and providing the authenticity and that one-on-one connection. Yes. Now, besides the work that you do as uh, serving as the Deputy Shadow Minister of Home Affairs for the Democratic Alliance, you also participate in the Parliamentary Association for Human Rights Steering Committee. Please, can you tell us more about the this association and what it aims to do? What we do, we discuss the issues of um, human rights of people across the continent. And uh, I am very happy that I attended this uh, week's steering committee, which we held in Cape Town, because what I have discovered is that most of the issues that we are confronted with here in South Africa, as far as issues of gender-based violence are concerned, as well as the issues of uh, the killing of people who are living with albinism, those, we are actually not unique. We are not the only country that is experiencing those problems. Those are issues that are happening across the continent. So it will mean when we find solutions, if one country finds solution, it basically means the whole continent will be, will be able to address their issues. So we are going to use all platforms that are available to us to ensure that we champion for issues of, of human rights. And those are universal issues uh, that concern yes. everybody. And yes. um, I think it's it's wonderful that, as you said, we can look at almost developing best practice that happens in one territory and if you find the solution to be able to roll out to uh, colleagues in other countries. Yes. You were listening to Womanity, Woman in Unity on Channel Africa, the African Perspective on frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 31 meter band. Also available on DSTV channel 802. Today, we're talking to Angel Caniele, who is from the Democratic Alliance and is currently a member of Parliament in the National Assembly, serving on the Portfolio Committee of Home Affairs. We would love to receive your comments on Twitter at Womanity Talk. Ms. Caniele, turning more towards a personal perspective, One of the questions that I ask my guests on this program, who've all made tremendous achievements in their respective fields of expertise, is about some of the factors that they consider have contributed to their success. So some people speak about hard work, others talk about perseverance, uh, a particular person in their life. In your opinion, what would you say have been some of your key drivers to success? I believe uh, it is hard work and and perseverance, and it is also knowing what you want. It is very important to know what you want, to know where you want to go in life, and to work very hard in ensuring that you bring that to life, you achieve that goal. So having a plan of action, setting your two-year goals, your five-year goals, and the path to achieve it, that would be one of the, the the tangible ways that you've managed to attain your objectives. Yes, yes. But also you need to work very hard in achieving it because plan alone without action is, I don't know if it's a proper word to use, if I would say it's going to be useless. When you have a plan, you must ensure that you implement it as well because as we have had our discussion earlier on, we've, we've indicated that 
As a country, we believe that we are where we are today because of lack of implementation. If we can plan and implement and go back and monitor and check that whatever that we have planned and implemented are without actually getting any fruitful results out of it, I think that would be much better. So you need to plan and ensure that implementation takes place and monitoring as well. So in your personal experience, you've got your plan of action. How do you manage to make sure that you implement it? Okay, what really um, has happened? Okay, let me go back to when I was uh, working as a as a as a as a, as a PR counselor. I started um, serving in the Democratic Alliance as a PR counselor, and uh, basically, what I had in mind, I thought from being a PR counselor at a local level, when I move from that position, I'm gonna go to the district level, and go to legislature, and then go to um, national assembly. Then, how I do my my work, I have a diary that I'm using for my work, and everything that I have planned, I make sure that I implement. If I do not implement, I move it to the following day. And then at the end of the day, I go back to monitor that the things that I said I would do, did I actually do them? And the same goes with the promises that I make to the members of the community. I work very well with almost all communities in, 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 in Ligua. As you know, that the Democratic Alliance is a party for everyone. We work with, a, we have black followers, supporters of voters. We have white supporters of voters. We have Indian and colored supporters of voters. So we go and have contact with all those communities and get their issues. When I get their issues, it doesn't only end there. If I commit that I'm going to raise their issues in Parliament, especially with uh, regards to issues of service delivery, I make sure that I come to Parliament, I understand the motion to, to, to Parliament and send it to my colleagues who are sitting in various portfolio committees if the matter that I have received on the ground does not fall within my portfolio. So I believe that if you work like that, and after I, oh, after I get to the, the receiving the response from Parliament, whether from a minister, if you have made a statement, because if you make a statement, the minister gets to respond, then you go back to the ground and give feedback. So when you work in that manner, you get members of community to, to be able to trust you. So I do believe that because in my everyday life, when I work, I have a plan that I'm using. I know that what will I be doing this week, when I, what will I be doing the following months and all of that. It has actually helped me to get where I am because you know even your areas that need improvement. Then you can also schedule that in the diary as well where you need capacitation, where you need to go and, and see somebody that can actually give an advice or register for a certain course. As I've also indicated that after joining politics, I realized that I need to expand on my education. Now I'm currently studying with them in COSA. I'm doing a degree towards um, public administration. So you've got a very methodical approach. It gets onto the list and you make sure that there's carryover to ensure that all actions are, are made. Yes. Can you share with us who have been some of the strong women in your life? I would say it is my grandmother. I was raised by my grandmother. She she passed away in 2013. May her soul rest in peace. And uh, she raised me under very difficult uh, circumstances. 
But I remember very well that she taught me the the the, the semi values. She taught me how to be humble. She taught me how to respect the next person. She also taught me how to say please and and thank you. And I do not think that if she did not teach me all the things that I know today, I would have been the woman that I am today. And right now, I am making sure that I teach the same values to my children. And I also teach them to the members of the community that I come into contact with. So you work off of a strong family values system. That that sounds like one of the, the key drivers in, in your DNA. Yes. Now, as you were growing up, I'm sure there must have been some key moments for you which have made you into the woman you are today. Please share with us some of the pivotal moments in your life during that time. I think growing up in a home where I am raised by a single parent who is living with um, a disability, more than anything in your life, it makes you want to ensure that things do not remain the same. It makes you want to work very hard to ensure that you become a better person so that you can be able to change your background because you realize that the buck stops with you. And if you can do it, you believe that you'll be motivating many young girls out there and young women to actually realize that if she did it, I also can. Because I believe that some of our challenges that we are, we are faced with in our communities, um, we are not unique. We are having many, many children, even currently, that are raised by parents that are unemployed, looking at the unemployment rate in our country. And I do believe that we have children out there that when they look at themselves, they just know that things are not going to be the same. When I grow up, I want to make sure that I work very hard to change, to change my background, to change the way, the way things are. And another thing, growing up in a, in a, in a township, it is one of the challenging things because everything that is happening, it happens right in front of your door. I remember there was a, a woman that was actually killed by her partner. It was, in, uh, I think, a few years ago. She was killed by a partner using an ex in, 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 in their home. But in that experience, I realized that I just cannot sit down and, and fold my arms. Something needs to be done. It is one of the reasons I then decided that I need to at least have a, a foundation where we are going to be able to create awareness around women so that they can be able to, 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 to voice out their concerns and so that they can be able to detect the signs of, of, of abuse. Because some women, they are in abusive relationships, but they don't even know that they are actually people that they can go out and speak to. They don't even know that they are social workers that they can go and speak to. So that is why I decided to actually have this foundation, and we are making progress. We are trying to reach out to as many communities as we can, and some of the programs that I'm actually doing, I try every Sunday to visit churches. I go to a number of churches to go and speak about issues of gender-based violence and encourage women to speak up, because it is very important that they speak up. If they do not, they will not get assistance. Those are all very moving points, and I can hear the, the passion in your voice for, for the work that you do. 
like you said, if if women are not speaking up, then those issues remain hidden, even though we're aware of them. And that's something which gender equality, particularly in Africa, it touches these sensitive points from culture, religion, and tradition. How do you think it would be possible to overcome these issues for the sake of women's development? I think when it comes to that one, it is a matter of which maybe culture or religion or tradition that you, 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 you belong to. But at the end of the day, I do believe that our culture gives us a sense of who we are and, and where we come from. And what needs to happen within those structures, because in most communities we have structures that are, are, are formed by a certain number of people that are from, from that council, we need to form part of those structures. Women need to be recognized in those structures so that they can be able to drive issues of women within those structures because nothing can actually happen in any structure without, without us. Nobody can be able to express the issues of women better than us. So if there are traditional structures that are taking place in our communities, they need to ensure that women are actually acknowledged and recognized to form part of the structure so that they can be able to to raise issues of women within those structures. And one of the other things that we've we've noticed and, and become aware of is the, the challenges between being able to juggle your career as well as motherhood. You've got children. You're very busy with all of the work that you do, whether it is with the with Parliament or looking at the African Parliamentary Steering Committee. How do you manage to cope with this juggle? It's, uh, it's quite challenging, that I must admit. But like I have said before, that planning is very important. Planning, planning and planning and implementation is very important. What I normally do, I work around a lot. I spend almost, I wouldn't say all my time, but most of my time when I'm in my constituency, I spend my time on the ground. But I also make time to spend with my family. And I have three kids. My uh, my son is 16 and the girls, um, the other one is eight, the other one is three years. So I make sure that all the time I spend time with them. When I'm at home, I, if, if I'm there for a week, I will make sure that I, have, I make time to do my constituency work because my community needs me and my children need me as well so that I can also know what is happening in their lives. And as we are talking about issues of gender-based violence, I feel that it is very important as women to make time and speak to our children about those issues. As young as they are, my daughter is eight. Already we are talking about those issues because I feel it is very important. These issues, they, they affect them as well. We, all, we always see on the news that there was a child of that age group that was raped and killed. Even a four-year-old, even with kids that are about eight or four months old, they are being raped and killed daily. So it is very important that we make time for our families, make time for our children, talk to them about issues of gender-based violence so that they can know when somebody is touching them inappropriately. 
build that bond and ensure that your children trust you enough to be able to come to you. You should be the first person that they come to when they experience this kind of behavior around them. Those are important words, and you're, you're so right. It's something which we have to make our girls aware of, irrespective of, of what their age is, because they are vulnerable. Yes. Now, finally, as we close our conversation today, could you please share a, a few words of inspiration or wisdom that you'd like to pass on to girls and young women who are listening to us on the continent? I want to highlight to women that most women become victims of abuse by men. And we also know that men are raised by women. So as women, we need to ensure that we look at the way of how we raise our boy child because the upbringing plays a very, very important role in all of the gender-based violence that we're actually experiencing today, it is very much possible that everything starts at home. So it's very important that as women, we look at how we relate to our boy child, how we communicate with them, what we say to them, and what they are exposed to when we, we, we are raising them. And I also want to encourage girls and young women to believe in themselves and ensure that they they capacitate themselves to be able to take part in our economy. And they also need to know their value. They need to know who they are. They need to believe in themselves. Thank you very much for that message of self-empowerment, self-belief, and one where individuals not only change themselves, but make the world a better place to live in. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Thank you so much, Patamalia. You have been listening to Womanity, Woman in Unity on Channel Africa, The African Perspective. And we have been talking to Ms. Angel Caniele from the Democratic Alliance, who is a member of parliament serving in the National Assembly, as well as on the Portfolio Committee of Home Affairs.